on the last episode of Dice Funk. The last time I was in the ocean, blood did a bad thing. And then lets the uh, arrow fly towards the ship, and that's a 14, and hopefully break the vial against it. In the distance, as you leave the blunderbuss behind, these jets of noxious fluid which tear it apart from the inside, killing everybody on board before it collapses into the ocean. Uh, he uses a reaction to cast shield, making him invulnerable to magic missile. <laughs> All right, Drop and Lavinia go down in a hail of magic missiles. Where do you want to take your uh, mor- mortal wound there, Lavinia? Any preferences? All in my torso. Let's go big. Let's go head. Carry the jar over to the ship and drop it. Just finish it. The monster will be here for you soon. I'm not going to dignify you with that death, Captain. While Joan's talking to Drop, I'm just I'm casting uh, Detect Thoughts on Joan. In their hearts, what they all want more than anything is to end the practice of sacrifice to dark gods. And the voice tells them, if they say those words, he will tear a hole into that plane, restore their bodies, and no one will ever need to make a sacrifice to a god as long as they live. In drow language, they have a word for a blessing born from a sacrifice, and that word is Zavala. Joan's conclusion is, I and everyone else involved in this have to die. You also notice some whirlpools. Whatever entrances to the Underdark were on those islands for the Kuatoa must be down there, and the water's draining in and filling those tunnels and probably drowning those cities. So the island is inside of that dome because it's meant to be able to hold the waters if they swallow the entire planet up. Do something to possibly get on the other side of that, but I'd be gone for at least an hour. Hey, Ziggy, <laughs> do you want to come for a trip? <laughs> Just put him in a headlock and go. Yeah. So drop Elias, Lavinia, Sildiel, and Ziggy land on an idyllic tropical beach. Find yourself at like a two-way fork, and Ziggy tells you all that's the way to Calypsia, the drow city. This one goes to Hole in the Earth, only one guest at a time. Welch is very busy. Who wants to go in and speak with her? On the way in, I guess I'll cast tongues. While your friend's in there, I think you guys should go wait in the library. Uh, the only person who is in this library who is sitting in a chair surrounded by a slowly rotating maelstrom of books and musical instruments which are playing themselves. A tiefling? Professor Chance, I presume. My waveforms are staring at me judgmentally, Austin. What do I do? <laughs> uh, they're entrances to your east and west. You have a torch. It's dark. What do you do? Um, I eat the torch. <laughs> you win! <laughs> Good references. Good references always win. I'm in roll 20. I have everything ready, so I'm uh, ready to be not dead anymore. Mm. That's my. That's my plan. That's weird, because the last episode I said you had to get fixed by the end, or you were dead. I thought you said we just had to get there. I feel like it was something like that. But, I mean, I'm... Yeah! If you want to, if you want to, if you want to, like, Shyamalan this and be like, you were dead the whole time, then I'll be, I'll be okay with that. Just, you know, make it good. It's funny you say it. No, I'm kidding. We'll, we'll see what happens. Where do you guys want to start? Uh, Drop, Elias, and Sildiel are in the library. Uh, Vinny and Ziggy are in Welch the Blues workshop. And everybody else is on the boat. I, I would propose starting with Vinny, just because I think people want to see the is Violet going to die plot thread resolve out. Got to give the people what they want. All right. Yeah. So Welch the Blue, uh, you gather what her name comes from. <laughs> She's wearing the kind of wizard robe you saw Ziggy wear in the first couple episodes before he changed outfits, except it has a 
blue cape on the back, like a shimmery blue cape with stars on it, like a night sky. Full full length cape or like kind of short? Like a capelet. A capelet, so it doesn't get caught in any of her machines. Right. Aww. Which <laughs> you see she's running from machine to machine, fixing them, uh, turning dials, twisting knobs, looking at gauges. She has a huge socket wrench in her hands, uh, almost like a wizard's cane. It's like taller than she is. And she's like reaching up and spinning things with it. Uh, occasionally she stops, opens a, a hatch and points it into the hatch and shoots lightning out of the end of it. It's definitely her wizard staff, but it's also just a tool because uh, she is some sort of... Uh, technology wizard you don't know you don't know anything about what she is you're just observing her and uh ziggy leans over to you lavinia you both have uh tongues activated so everyone can talk in this scene Mm -hmm. uh and he says he sent her a message (laughs) a telepathic message and she said she'd be right there in a minute and uh ziggy explains to you some context and some culture while you wait for her as she fiddles with her machines tell me about those frogs (laughs) yeah so here's what you need to know about hole in the earth as a city and as a culture it was a pretty simple place for a long time the bullywogs are not they don't don't have a great history of art or culture necessarily they're a meritocracy uh which is whoever is most capable to lead does so and there really isn't much argument or any formal processes he tells you for a long time the person who was in charge uh he says their name and it's a ribbit so you don't understand but then the magic translates it literally as the crusher and he says that's the guy who's out there guarding the door now for a long time, the Crusher led Hole in the Earth, but then one day, Welch the Blue showed up with all her magics, and that she just became the new leader because everyone recognized she was the most qualified, and that's just kind of the way they do things. They're very pragmatic, and so she brought them magic. She taught it to them, those who had an aptitude for it, and she's also used it to, to build these machines, which purify water. Um, they help in agriculture. They help in sickness. They basically have automated many processes that otherwise they would have went without before and so they're all like wildly indebted to her she's very popular do you have any other specific questions that's kind of what he tells you um i mean it all sounds good (laughs) sounds nice and comprehensive yep that's uh all the things that austin thinks are important but uh, i can always make up new stuff if you want it (laughs) cool do you think she'll actually be able to help though if it benefits her or the village then yeah do you, do you have your doubts? Well, I just don't know what she's going to want. <laughs> I mean, just helping Violet for the sake of helping Violet, is it do anything for her personally? You gotta sell it. <laughs> <laughs> no, she probably will not help Violet for the sake of helping Violet. And he's upfront about that with you. And I think also Alona is upfront about that with you. Uh, and also, I think you guys met Ziggy uh, when he was trying to enslave one of you. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think it comes as any surprise that the Bullywugs don't mind getting their hands dirty. They're not they're not good in the same way that, say, gnomes are good. And once again, you know, we're talking about morality in the D&D sense, which means if they drop dead right now, where do they go? <laughs> That's all that morality means to D&D creatures. And Bullywugs are evil in that sense. Aww. Not in a you know, socio-political sense, but... <laughs> <laughs> What is she doing? Uh, he says, I I can shoot fire and I can shoot ice and I can shoot lightning, but I don't know how to do anything with those machines. So it's all, it's all gnome to me. <laughs> okay. It's very good. I'm ready for this frog. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're ready for this froggy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Uh, so when you're done getting exposition, uh, Welch finishes up what she's doing and then hops over to you guys. Uh, she has her, you know, wizard cloak, her little capelet, and she's also wearing like big goggles. Aww. 
protective eyewear. And uh, she starts talking. It's once again translated by tongues. And she says, uh, welcome, Ribbit name. Uh, Who's your friend? And uh, Ziggy introduces you. And I assume you guys explain why you're here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there anything you want to be more specific about with her? It's a lot of pressure. Yeah, it is. This is a highly highly pressurized situation you're in. Okay. (laughs) What was that sound? (laughs) What just happened? I make a lot of sounds. You do. (laughs) Leave me alone. I guess she's gonna be like, uh, ask her one. Do does she think she can fix her? And two, if she'll be the same. Well, I I have to take a look at her first. Can you can you come look at her with us now? Uh, sure, I guess. Yeah, she's on the boat because she's really heavy because she's a horse. <laughs> that checks out. That clears. That logic works. Yeah, <laughs> she runs the math about. It. She pulls an abacus out. And goes horse weight heavy. Yeah, that's that's cool. I get it. And she offers you an elbow, like she holds out her arm as if uh, like leading a blind person. Uh, I'm gonna take it. And uh, suddenly there's a large rectangle of light in front of you, and she steps through it, pulling you with her. All of a sudden you're in the tunnels that you came through to get down to a hole in the earth. And she says, couple more. And another rectangle opens up, and she walks through that one. And then you guys are out on the beach. And then she does it one more time, uh, using the same spell over and over to teleport you guys to the maximum range of this teleportation spell. Mm. Which is Dimension Door. I was going to say. <laughs> I was about to ask. But you do notice, I think, like, on the second teleport, that uh, Ziggy is not with you. She offered her elbow out to you, and then you went with her in your haste. But uh, Ziggy was not asked to come along, nor nor requested to do so. So you're, you're with her on your own. And this last teleportation spell drops you into the crow's nest of the Violet One. And she says, oops, overshot it a little bit. <laughs> That's okay. We, we can get down from here. Yeah, I mean, you have to admit, pretty close for not knowing exactly where you parked your ship. I mean... I can't do that, like, at all, so, I mean, I'm impressed with any of it. <laughs> all right, so uh, let's go down, and you guys start uh, descending the mast, crawling down. Uh, she is helping you. She has her big wrench with her, so if you fall, you can grab onto that. I think that would be, Aww. like, some fun physical comedy you guys could do. <laughs> but on your way down, uh, you hear some sounds below you, and I don't think they're good sounds. I think they're crying. Uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. What's going on down there? As you guys uh, climb down, uh, you see that there's a crowd of all of the NPCs around Violet. This, what's happening? What's happening, guys? I, I brought the, I brought, I brought the chick. <laughs> what's happening? She looks at you. She says, I, "I'm a bullywug." Oh, sorry, it's a turn of phrase, ma'am. Idioms don't super translate. Um, the crowd of people turns and looks at you, and uh, most of them look pretty sad. I think Judy's the one crying. I don't know how birds do, but Kenkus can cry. I've declared it. <laughs> well, they sure they surely can. I mean, it, that is canon. So it is written. It is now. And they turn and look at you, and Kay just shakes his head. No. What do you mean, no? What do you mean, no? That's not okay. <laughs> uh, are we there yet? Are we down? Yeah, you've been down. <laughs> oh, I thought I was still climbing down. Is Violet dead? Tell me now. Violet Skittles Unicorn is dead on the deck of the Violet One. Oh. Wait, but you made Leon do a level five character shit. <laughs> uh, Welch the Blue walks over, pokes the dead unicorn with her wrench, and says, "Well, this is gonna cost you." <laughs> uh, what's it gonna cost me? She says, "Uh, normally 
there's only two ways to bring back the recently deceased. You either need a very powerful priest or a very unscrupulous necromancer. Are, do we have any of those? Do you know where to find those? Uh, I ain't got no god, and I ain't no necromancer. But I'll tell you one thing. I got me some, uh, some of that there transmutation magic, if you catch my drift. Are you catching my drift? That's a bullywog idiom. You probably don't understand. <laughs> of, how about instead of drifting, you explain it very in-depth. So there's a spell uh-huh. that isn't blasphemous necromancy, and that isn't earth-shakingly powerful god cleric magic. It's, a, it's more of a transformation of this flesh and just kind of popping the soul back in there. But what would... But it's not cheap in material components or my time and energy. Well, okay. What would you want in exchange for the spell? And also, what would what would the end... Like, if you're changing her flesh, what does that mean? What are you going to turn her into? Well, sometimes it doesn't come out quite right, so I can't promise anything. But I'll aim for normal. <laughs> As to the price, well, I see her horns missing. You don't happen to have it still, do you? I think we do, but I... Drop grabbed it. Yeah, Drop has it. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, Drop Drop and Elias both grabbed it in the, while they were getting on the ship, so they brought it with them. Yeah, drop, if you want to have it with you, you can say you have it. If No, we can say we left it on the ship. So, yeah, Vinny, you know it's on the ship. Okay. Yes, but I think the magic might be gone out of it. I don't know how horns work. I'm not a horn scientist. No, and you're not much of a negotiator either. You probably shouldn't have told me that bit, huh? I'm not good at this. I just sing songs and cure people. <laughs> Look, you seem like a sweet kid. Uh, I'm just trying to get what's what's fair. If you want, if you want my help, I have an offer out on the table. If not, I got a boiler to fix. I think the uh, the refrigeration's leaking. It's there's a lot of stuff. So. Okay. What are you gonna do with the horn? I don't know. What are you going to do with your face? Like, <laughs> Wow. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> that, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That was Austin. You've been really sassy with me tonight. What did I do to you? Mm. No, it's, uh, I haven't decided. I have to look at it. I don't know what the quality of the horn is. I don't know the size. I don't know anything about it. When you when you when you do the spell, can you make her like a new horn? It obviously won't be the same, but like just for like... Appearance sake? Mm. I don't want to get your hopes up. Can you try? No. <laughs> I'm loving this so much. Look, it's not it's not as simple as just moving stuff around. You don't want to get a horn half in the brain. That kind of defeats the whole purpose of the spell. Okay, well, can't imagine the horn would be able to really go back on. Maybe it would, but... If she's dead, she has no use for it anyway, so I guess it's better to be alive than be dead with a horn. So, uh, I'm the only one here. So, uh, I guess just, uh, yeah, do the thing and you can have the horn. For the record, you're not the only one here. Everyone else is here. Yeah, I know, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm just sure that was a very confusing statement to the other NPCs. So, so is, that a, is that a yes? I just want to be clear. Yeah, yeah, do it. I mean... I'm going to be honest, I think this is a pretty dope spell. I have not had a lot of uh, chances to cast it. Um, and definitely not on any, anything sapient. This is going to be exciting. <laughs> oh, this oh is my great. God. Here's, what I, here's what I'm wondering. 
about what's going to uh-huh. happen with this transmutation spell. Uh-huh. Is Austin just going to pick the form of our destructor, or is he going, <laughs> or is he going to roll a die and what it lands on ends up being the thing that Violet becomes, or if it's just or or what? Because I'm curious about how how this spell works. Could I give her bardic inspiration too to help? I don't know if that works for that kind of spell. I don't think it's that kind of spell, my my dudes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So. Welch the Blue walks circles around Violet. Everyone kind of gives her space as she wa- as she kind of paces, gets her, her angles right. She tests the ley lines and the wind. And, uh, you know, she looks very contemplative, like she's deep in magical thought. And then uh, she raises up her wrench staff. And after a dramatic moment of it pointed towards the sky, I think like any moment, maybe like lightning will strike it or planets will come into alignment or something. But nope. She brings it down on Violet's flank with a thud and uh, steps back. And she says, I think that'll do it. Did it do it? I, it is, there any, is there anything happening with Violet? <laughs> she says, uh, sometimes it takes a... And then all of a sudden, from the spot where she was hit, light begins to radiate out, consuming Violet, washing over her until she is a light-shaped, uh, a horse-shaped light. <laughs> Light-shaped horse. <laughs> All right. Light-shaped horse. <laughs> yeah, ch- take that one, physics. That's the best kind. Come on. Beat that particle physics. Mm-hmm. The <laughs> light is a wave, it is a particle, and it's a horse. Oh, um, but once you have this light violet, you see it shining before you, it starts to change shape, mm-hmm. uh, to stretch and squash and squish and squelch around until it is an entirely new form. Two arms... Two legs, head, torso. Oh my god. Is she a human? Did you turn Violet into a human? Did you Little Mermaid this shit? Did you last unicorn me? And the light fades away, and laying on the deck of the Violet One in a puddle of her own blood (laughs) is a pale human woman, naked as the day she was born, (laughs) with a wild tangle of rainbow-colored hair. Okay. Is she, like, breathing? Not only is she breathing, but her eyes fly open. And she says, I'm back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and with her new leg, she sort of kips up like Shawn Michaels and uh, looks around and doesn't know what's going on and doesn't know how to walk and then falls f- flat on her face. I think uh, this Violet yep. is like six, seven feet tall. Cool. Because I think we just moved around the horse meat. <laughs> and I think she's probably she's probably built like Schwarzenegger or something. Okay. She's a barbarian. She's a- Amazonian. Yeah. We can work on my, my human stats uh, later. But right now she's mostly falling. No, you have the same stats as you did when you were unicorn, except that you don't have a natural weapon. You okay. can't charge. Ah. And your speed is going to drop. Oh, that was my best one. <laughs> Although you do get you do get extra speed for being a barbarian, yes. so you're not as slow as a normal human. What is my speed now, just so I can type this in? Uh, so human speed is 30, and then you get plus your barbarian, which I believe is 10. Yes, I'm 40. That's still fast. I'm I'm naturally 40 at level 5, too. Yeah. So now you're as fast as drop. Although you're, it's going to take some use getting used to your legs. Yep. I'm going to hug her. <laughs> okay. That seems like a good thing to do. Violet, you're alive and a person. <laughs> I've always been a person. What, what's no a human? What's what, what's with all of this not fur and stuff? <laughs> what, what is all of this stuff on me? So you you died, right? Why am I squishier? 
<laughs> Welch like hoves into the <laughs> into the frame, like from the edge, like slides in, and she's like reincarnation, baby, and then she sl- <laughs> slides back out. <laughs> okay, um, Vi- Violet sort of like um, not like in a very like she just ate from the tree of knowledge. Notices that she's naked and says, "Can someone get me a robe? This isn't right." Um, I don't know if there's any clothes on the violet one that would fit this giant horse lady. Or isn't there like a cloak that I wore? It'd be short, but that was Ziggy's old wizard thing. Yeah, if you want to make like what is it called, like a sarong or something out of it. Yeah, whatever just hides my shame. I did it. <laughs> I did it. It's done. It's been done. Okay. <laughs> Vinny gives you her change of clothing and Ziggy's wizard cloak for you to make yourself decent. And while she's getting dressed, Vinny's going to hug Welch. So part of me was thinking that the artificer Welch was going to make Violet a horse forged. And that would have been just the worst thing ever. <laughs> so we would have had a robot horse. That would have been brilliant. But I think this what you guys are seeing is basically the advancement of technology through D&D times. Like this campaign yeah. started with airships and now like actual machines. So I don't think we're quite in Warforged territory yet, which are D&D robots. Yeah. Uh, Modron obviously are like creatures they're like living so they're not they're like you know they're metal but they're not robots as we think of them anyway uh welch (laughs) as you hugs her she says i understand that this is a human form of affection i return your affection i think you're new to me thank you (laughs) i mean you got paid but it's still pretty cool so thanks oh yeah give me that horn though gotta stack that oh i thought it already done i gave it to her already i thought beforehand does Violet see the horn? Unless Vinny wants to slip it. Well, actually, before <laughs> I give it to her, I'm going to be like, Violet, listen. Yo. You're not, I hope you're not mad at me. No, don't know me. <laughs> uh, don't know me if you don't bro me. <laughs> <laughs> Isaac pops his collar. He unpops it and then repops it. <laughs> but you were dead. So in order to make you not dead... I had to trade your horn. I'm really sorry, but you were going to be dead anyway, so... Well, what's going to happen to the horn? I, I asked her, and she said she wasn't sure yet. Uh, lawn darts? I mean, seriously? <laughs> I <laughs> I mean, once I see it, I'll have a better idea. I didn't realize this was going to be so important to you. I mean, I could just, you know, put it in a case and put it on my mantle, or... Uh, I, I, I just... I, I want it back on my head, but I get this weird feeling that that's just not an option anymore. You're a human now, Violet. I mean, what from what I heard of your friends, uh, they could have got you here fast enough to save you, but uh, apparently they got caught up in some stuff. Yeah, you missed it, Violet. I got missled in the chest. Violet sort of shoots everyone a look, and then she's like, <laughs> okay, well, I mean, what, what do I use to stab people now, is all I'm <laughs> saying. We'll get you a really nice sword that looks like a horn. Okay, well, this is a lot to process. I know, but I kind of already told her she could have it, so... Yeah. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give it to her. Alright. Alright, so Vinny goes down, down below deck, gets the horn, brings it up to Welch, who looks it over. Mm-hmm. And she says, uh, that's a really gnarly crack you've got here. You guys were really rough with that corn, huh? I mean, the corn was rough with itself. 
Oh man. Speaking of rough, I do want to point out um we were we kind of rushed through it last episode, but the um devastating wounds Lavinia and Drop suffered mm-hmm. have some longer term consequences. Vinny, uh Aww. your armor was shredded and it's pretty brittle now. I think uh mm-hmm. probably Elias tried to mend it, but it's still not quite the same. So you're gonna take a one AC penalty. Okay. Um so drop that stat down and uh drop your whole face region is hella sore, mm-hmm. although we you were saved from being permanently disfigured. But I think talking is going to hurt, so you're going to take a charisma penalty, a disadvantage on charisma checks All right. for the foreseeable future until that swelling goes down. Okay. So that's where that is. Everyone's on the boat, and uh, Welch says, uh, well... I blew all of my spell slots getting us here and <laughs> healing your friend. Well, moving your friend's meat around. Uh, so I th- we're going to probably spend the night on this boat, huh? Um... Unless you have a way to get us back to Hole in the Earth. Well, couldn't we just boat back and then you could lead us the way again? Boat back? You're on the outside of the spiderweb ball thing. Oh, that's right. And the people who could face step are all on the inside. That's a good point. <laughs> I like that both Lauren and Lavinia forgot where they were. <laughs> Wait, where am I? On the boat. Am I? All right. I just want to double check that. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, How does your special message Do you have a message spell? Uh, yeah, I can send messages. I have sending. What do you, what do you need? Can you just tell Ziggy to tell the rest of the group that we'll be there? later but we're stuck on the boat for a little bit and that violet is okay yep i can do that thank you in the meantime you guys got any fish um (sighs) got a mighty powerful hankering for some fish guys do we have any fish (laughs) (laughs) uh let's cut scenes now to uh elias drop and sildiel in the library above them sitting at a pretty ornate chair is a tiefling a purple skin species with some horn action Mm. They usually have tails. You don't see this one's. Maybe it's like, you know, in a pocket or something. <laughs> you don't know how its pants work. I'm going off of the just wonderful fan art done by um, Cosmignon. I think I want to say the Tumblr Twitter name of this person is. Yeah. It's Professor Chance, and he's reading a book. He's surrounded by a slowly rotating maelstrom of books and violins, which are uh, trying to drown out the machine noise as he does some research. Mm-hmm. And you guys are down below him. Elias just sort of like walks up a bit closer and kind of tries to wave up at Professor Chance and sort of get his attention up. Professor Chance, uh, down here, please. (laughs) He finishes the paragraph he's on, uh, looks over his book, spots you, uh, and then waves his hands and the uh, instruments stop playing and the chair slowly lowers down to you. The books are still floating around. You think that's kind of a permanent spell that he's just cast on them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then he floats his chair down. Drops it lightly onto the floor and looks at you and he says, uh, some non-frogs. How can I help you? Uh, so, uh you, you must remember who I am. Uh, mm. I mean. See a lot of elves. Elves are, uh, no, not to, you know, between you and me, they're kind of college boys, if you will. See, see my share of elves. Yes, however, remember I'm not simply an elf. At least sort of points at the vacant eyes that he has the pupilless sort of things. It's like, we ha- we met back on, near the Ragged Woods in Spira. Oh, shucks. But, yeah, I remember you. You gave me, uh, let me see here, uh, Wheels Within Wheels, I think it was? Yes, 
traded at for a ticket that got me onto a ship which was hijacked by pirates, which has led me to a number of locations as a result, partially, among other things, in an effort to get that book back. Sounds like uh, you bought a ticket for adventure, son. <sighs> I, I, Elias just sort of shifts the conversation a bit. In either case, I, I should ask you, what was, why were you interested in that particular book? Is there something about portals that you're specifically investigating? I mean, I, everything I told you was true. I'm a planar scholar. I study uh, portals and planar magic for the University of Kaldu. I came here because there was a, a lot of portal energy. Yes. And uh, just been investigating the heck out of it. And uh, Wheels Within Wheels is, is one of a number of books with uh, some really interesting stuff hidden in it. I, I understand the portal energy now more than before, as back then I merely thought it was about, well, me getting over into this plane from the Feywild through a temporal intersection between the material plane and the Feywild, but now things are much more clear about how anomalous the portal activity is around here. Yeah, stuff's real hecked up. Who are your friends? You got a handsome guy here and a quite enchanting lady, and you haven't introduced them. Yes, I'm sorry about that. Um, he gives He gives your mom a look. Like, does he wiggle his eyebrows? Yeah. Yes, uh, I will. Professor Chance is hitting on your mom. I, I'm aware of that. I'm aware <laughs> okay. of that. Okay, I just wanted to be sort of like, yes, uh, this is my friend, uh, Drop Goodwood, and uh, this is, well, my mother, Professor Chance. Drop waves a little, a little too long. On <laughs> <laughs> Shantae. He takes uh, Sildiel's hand like a, like a dandy. Uh, he has like this really dapper vest on. He looks like he is uh, an elite, for the lack of a better term. Oh, sure. Drop whispers to Elias. Is this your uncle? <laughs> what? Uh, Elias just sort of glances, like turns, like his head. It's like Stewie from the family. Like looks to drop, <laughs> and his head just sort of progressively becomes more parallel to the floor as he gives him the most <laughs> awkward side stares. Like, I, uh, you can't be. Serious about that question, Drop? Can can you? Drop looks like he wants to say yes, but then like <laughs> looks into Elias's <clears throat> eyes and starts like nodding slowly and says, "No, I, I, I'm I'm an Aladrin that is a tiefling. There, there, there's kind of a bit of a difference between the two. Oh, okay." <laughs> Drop can't tell the difference between a purple-skinned man with horns and a really effeminate elf. Man. Drops, drops, not a worldly guy. No, no, he's not. It's just he's like there are me's and then there are everyone else's. <laughs> oh, I just thought that when you got older, your skin turned purple. I'll, I'll just, um, I'll go look at a book. Actually, Drop, I. It might be better if you're still around here because I'm not sure what Professor Chance is thinking. Uh, Professor Chance! <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know what Professor Chance is thinking. <laughs> he shoots you some finger guns? You have no idea what they mean, but you like them. 
<laughs> and he says, uh, no one really comes to this place. I came here, obviously, because as someone seeking powerful magics, uh, there's no one better in the region than Welch the Blue to help with my research. But what brings you guys here? Well, among other things, getting better insight about the nature of the portals themselves, as we might have some insight as to what might have been causing them, but not a lot of great uh, headway on how to get rid of them and possibly revert what is happening to Lorelei. Oh, you guys are on some portal stuff too? That's cool. Yes. It's a shame you didn't come here earlier. Imagine how everything could have been so much different if we had uh, teamed up from the beginning. Yes, it, that would have changed things dramatically <laughs> and possibly have caused more deaths in one, some locations and fear in others. It's <laughs> almost like other locations are somehow moving forward in time at the same time as us. You turn to the camera like you're in the office. <laughs> yes. It's almost like time is not an illusion. Uh, so he says, uh, do you want to share what we know and stuff? Because I, I was trying to figure out what was behind all this portal funny business, but that I just kind of gave up on that. And now I'm trying to figure out how to get there. You know what I'm saying? Like, who cares who or what's doing it if I can just go there and stop it? Y yes. Uh, quick question. Did you happen to check out the elemental plane of Earth in the Ragged Woods while you were there? Quick answer. No. Okay. Well, that's part of what we were able to find out. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I've read the entire Elminster treatise on the elemental plane, so I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on it. Yes, um, that's where this came from. Elias sort of points to his bangle and the gem is on it. He says, very fine. Yes. But not the finest thing I've seen all day. Wink, wink. Oh, my God. Uh, Elias is like, cut to Elias uh, on the side scenes like, well, <laughs> I thought my mother was going to kill me when she <laughs> found out that this was the person who stole my book. Now, I have a feeling she's just going to kill him. <laughs> Do you say it out loud so that she no, knows? No, 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 no. I'm saying like this, if this was the office and we had the side cutaway scene, that's what Elias would be saying to the ca camera right now, like. Sildio looks uh, like flattered, but also like uh, very off-put by this dude. I think what would be great right now would be to just sit down and exchange information. And maybe, even though it may be later than perhaps you would have liked, Professor Chance, maybe we can share information and get further to the bottom of what's causing all this. I've seen one of the portals get created. At least just sort of glance over at the drop. There's also that, Professor Chance. Sounds good. So if uh, you guys just want to exchange exposition here, we can do that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you guys tell him about uh, Zavala and the portals. Drop tells him about the Temple of Primus. And I don't think there's anything you want to leave out necessarily, but the, I do want to point out the one thing that can't be talked about is uh, yeah. Drop's backstory. Yeah. That No, no. That can't be talked about. I'm aware of that. Yeah. All right, and he tells you uh, that he's been studying the portals and using the uh, the writing and various books that he's collected to kind of triangulate when the next big rift is going to open up, uh, the one that naturally occurs, like Elias came through. Hmm. Um, so he, he's been just kind of keeping an eye on that, uh, on the off chance that he can't figure this out because then he's going to escape. So that's one of the things that has been occupying his time. And the other is he's been trying to trace all of the portal energy back to a source because when they're created, there's kind of a, like a ballistic trail mm. 
from where whatever's tearing the portals comes from. And if you can triangulate that, he can maybe go to the source. But he says he's gonna he needs uh, more energy to conduct those experiments, and that's what he was hoping Welch could help with because her machines generate a lot of energy. There's a lot of boring math involved, <laughs> but uh, mm -hmm. it's a possibility that even if he doesn't know everything about it, maybe he can just go there and kick its ass. Elias pulls out one of his old maps from the Feywild that has been, he's been sort of revising since he's been here. Mm -hmm. And can, is there ability for him and Professor Chance to plot out the locations of the different portals that have been made so far in Lorelei? So you can help him with his research, but remember, it's not, it's not on the XY axis of a map of this plane of the prime material. It's like on the Z axis of all of the planes. Oh, sure, sure. I, I'm talking about the specific portals that we know are in the material plane, have an intersection in the material plane itself. Yeah, do you want me to re reiterate? He doesn't know about any that you don't. You guys have been pretty thorough. There's some you could have missed. I, I'm just right. Then in any case, I'm just sort of recalling for myself. We have the one of the ragged woods. That's the earth one. There's the one to hell that is in the Tiger Mountains. Mm-hmm. So we have the, what is, I'm trying to think of the other ones that we have seen. There's the one in the Temple of Primus that goes right. to the Abyss, and there's the one in Spira that goes to the Beastlands. Right. And there was one that went to the negative energy plane, but it has since closed. Right. Do we know about that one, or is that the one that involves Drop's backstory that we, that we can't talk about? Alona told Vinny some about it. So you know that okay. one existed, it saturated Drop, and then it closed um, and I think you're going to be able to put some stuff together that whoever opened it uh, is dead, and that's what closed it. But you don't know the mm. specifics of the deal with Drop's father. It'd be somewhere on the Tiger Mountain Island, though, or? Yeah, underwater at the mm. foot of the mountain, yeah. Okay, so Elisa sort of plots those out on there, and it's just sort of like trying to not necessarily Sherlock his way through the situation, but sort of tracing ways to connect the portals into different geometric shapes, kind of like... <laughs> basically trying to uh, just spend some time mulling over it in his head a little bit while talking with Professor Chance about some more details. I would, I would say it is possible that all of these portals are indeed coming from the same entity. It's not a guarantee, but uh, it, it just seems that these particular rifts in the material plane are tied to these geshes, as it were. Professor Chance says, I don't know specifically any entity called Zavala, because he's, he- he's heard your story. Mm -hmm. He says, but um, I have a, a collection of books about powerful deities and entities uh, that I've been mulling over, and I was trying to figure it out. If you want to take a, a whack at them, they're over there. Oh, certainly. Certainly. Thank you. At this point, Ziggy hops in and uh, delivers the message, I think, to drop, because he's just sitting quietly. He tells you that... Lavinia and Violet are okay, and they're going to spend the night on the Violet one, and then they're going to meet you in the morning. Drop gives a double thumbs up and looks visibly relieved that he doesn't have to go to Unicornicopia to bury anybody. <laughs> Ziggy, you can't really read Bullywog facial expressions super well, but you think he is also relieved to, to deliver this news. He seems like happy in a identifiable way <laughs> that you've never seen before. Let's see here. Um... The collection of books he points you to, but they're basically, it's like an encyclopedia set of fiendish codexes. There's some for devils and archdevils, which are the lawful evil entities, gods and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then there's a set for demons, which are the chaotic evil entities. And there's also includes demon lords. 
uh, which, you know, sometimes are gods. Like Loth is both a demon lord and a god. It's confusing. You don't really need to worry about it. Mm -hmm. And then there's Yugoloths, which are the neutral evil. And then there's some other miscellaneous books. If you want to look through those that don't fit into those three categories. Now this is why, okay, which is the best one to start with given what I'm trying to think of this. The only other detail about this that I'm not sure if Leah knows or not is has there been anything that's been revealed with regards to like a contract that has to be brokered in order before these things are uh, opened up? I think that has been established to him. Well, Drop must have described by now his like first encounter in the Ragged Woods. Drop uh, or Johnny rather. Johnny's been very careful to speak around these things, mm-hmm. saying like, mm-hmm. "What if I was hearing voices?" Or like, right, "What right. would you think yeah. about?" Okay, all right. So, so Drop will pipe in here and say, "I think there are definitely some rules involved." And rules are the domain of devils, the lawful evil. But right. also, uh, Ilona said that the thing creating the portals is not evil. The thing in the ocean is evil, right? But the thing creating the portals is not. And you guys don't know this yet, but the voice also told Violet it wasn't evil. Yeah. That, right. That's 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 the that's the metagaming side of me. It's like okay. You know, you have a loan to go off of, so it's not like you know unfair right. for you to make that assumption as well. Right. So, like, um, so that fourth book is for things that are not strictly evil, right? So there's a big set of encyclopedias for the lawful, chaotic, and neutral evils, and then there's like right. a pile of like three rando books that are like dusty and like half moth-eaten, and it looks like he didn't even bother with those. Elise is going to use a combination of cantrips trips to just over finesse this shit. He's going to use a mage hand to sort of pick up and toss the three books over his way and then press a digitation to clean them off mm-hmm. so you can dust them with a sweep of his hand while Joe hops from shoulder to shoulder looking at the books with him. <laughs> yeah. Drop, drop crosses his arms and mutters to himself, I can read pretty fast. <laughs> so yeah, I don't, I, I don't want to spend a million hours on this book scene, but sure. if you want to look through the non-evil uh, books, uh, mm-hmm. then I'll give you what you get. Uh, drop, do you want to do any books? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm looking for, I guess I'm, I'm looking for like very specifically lawful stuff. Mm-hmm. You're gonna look through the devil's. I wanna, I wanna look for, I wanna look for like rules because the the rule thing stuck sticks out to drop because that's a personal experience that he kind of has. So yeah, yeah. Is it possible to use like investigation or something along that line to kind of help through this process? No, because I'm not gonna bother making up a bunch of fake stuff. I'm just gonna give you the best stuff. <laughs> you just get the best stuff, Skitch. Yeah, I was gonna say like yeah, because I have that plus nine in investigation. I'm hanging. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can roll, but all it's going to do is lower what you find, because I'm just going to give it all to you up front if you don't roll. That's, no, that's that's completely fine. So. All right. So, Drop, you think contracts, rules, laws, devils, definitely. And you pick it up, and you look through this fiendish codex. You find out devils are from hell, which is the portal in the Tiger Mountains. Mm. So that seems like a pretty good start. Mm, yeah. You find that uh, their kind of evil is not brute force. They like to seduce and trick and corrupt people. You remember when you guys went to the edge of the pit, and some of, I think, Violet, at least, definitely heard voices calling to her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, like, all that checks out. Like, something was trying to tempt her to maybe, like, jump inside to see what was down there and fall into hell. Yeah, that all sounds pretty true, because I just read it in a book. Mm. You also know if it was, like, the abyss where demons are, 
uh, they probably would have just flowed out and killed you all. Right. <laughs> and it's also probably why Shayathane is like chilling outside because if they were demons, she would just be fighting them 24 seven. But with devils, it's a battle of wills mm-hmm. where they're going to be constantly like, whispering and offering and cajoling. And she just has to hold out with her inner strength. And so that's the, basically the punishment she's inflicting on herself for having been weak and for giving in and making the deal with Zavala. Mm-hmm. But you don't get the sense that Zavala is a devil. One reason is is that's been super upfront about everything. Uh, devils are often like much more tricky, where Zavala seems to like lay everything out. And also, it, it has never asked for anyone's soul. And that's devil's ultimate goal mm-hmm. is to corrupt you, so to give you something and then get your soul. Because the more souls you get, the better your station is in hell. Like hell is an entire bureaucracy. It's all about title and station and power and rank. Yeah, it's a soul economy. It is 100% a soul economy where you want to be the devil with the most souls so you have the most authority and the most power. That's all that matters to them. And whatever Zavala is doing doesn't seem to have like a an end goal. Uh, it's it's just you don't understand the method of it, and it just does not seem devil to you. Well, I just wasted the last three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Elias looks through. There's a couple of these just sh- old books. He cleans them up the best they can. Um, most of them look useless. Most of them look dumb. Richard Scarry's Tiny Town of Weird Ancient Demons. <laughs> it's like Sean Cronenfeld's Guide to Flumps. <laughs> Flumps? Oh, jeez. <laughs> Yeah, and you're like, the flumps couldn't hurt anybody. They're just... What the heck is this? Dungeons and Dragons 4th Edition. Oh, no one wants to read that. (laughs) Take that. Take that, my favorite game. Wait, Uh, moving (laughs) on. Yeah, there's like a Fifty Shades of Grey in there. (laughs) You just throw that aside. Oh, my God. The one book that catches your eye and you think is probably plot important (laughs) is a book. The title has been destroyed. The book has been... uh, old and wrecked and scratched up and parts of it are missing. It's like pages are torn out and you can't see the title anymore, but you can read the author. Uh, and the author's name is Jack Robertson. Oh my God. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> and you flip through that book and it's, it tells you that it's from the perspective of a famous hero, warrior, king, scholar, just the most, you know, King Arthur figure. Total baller! Oh God! So, so this is not the, so this is not the same Jack Robertson that wrote the uh, book "Cake Cutting Algorithms." <laughs> nope, it's a much cooler, much cooler Jack Robertson. Oh, Jack Robertson! But Jack, the other Jack Robertson I know is the one that wrote um, "Fraud Examination for Managers and Auditors." But uh, this is neither of those. Okay, <laughs> these are all like really deep cut references. <laughs> uh, and so you read this book, and it tells the story of how. Uh, Back in Jack's time, which was like many eons ago, you know, who knows how long ago, because a lot of it's missing. Uh, but a great evil rose up and he he forced it back and saved the world um, and he defeated it. And then he dedicated his life to finding out more about it and trying to protect the world from threats like it. And you read more and what you glean is the world that you know it is this this series of wheels. There's the inner planes, the Feywild, the Prime Material in the elemental planes and then there's these outer rings which are the afterlifes like the abyss hell the beastlands and then there's another wheel outside of this and it's not aligned in the same way it's at an angle so that only one spoke of the wheel aligns with this world at a time as it spins and throughout history different spokes have aligned with these planes and things have come over and it seems like they only have a certain amount of time to menace these planes before they go back 
and that what he did was drive back one that threatened the world during his time. And so he dedicates his life to finding out what the other ones are so that he can identify them so that future generations can be safe from them. And the book says very specifically that they're not gods um, because gods are just powerful creatures. They could be mortals that were raised up. They can be demons. They can be devils, just powerful, normal things. But these are something else entirely. They're, they're almost like concepts, like platonic ideals. Mm. And he says the one he fought, he calls the hunger. And he identifies a number of other ones that he found through his research of powerful forces that appeared, threatened to destroy everything, <laughs> the entire multiverse, and then disappeared without a trace, as if the wheel had turned and they had moved on. Backstory related here. Mm -hmm. Does the description of any of these have something that would make sense for what might be uh, either the cause of or related to what happened with the spell plague back in the Feywild? Since the Feywild is something that could be intersected by this angled wheel, as it were. So the spell plague is a canon D&D &D thing, which sure. I think was caused by Theris Dune. Think so. It, it it they they modified what specifically caused it, and I think they retconned it formally <laughs> in fifth edition. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, it it doesn't matter. That's D and D stuff, and I think Theris Dune is a god of like madness and destruction or evil or something. Mm -hmm. This is uh this is dice funk lore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything in Jack's book about like a sexy Zoro guy? Nope. He says he <laughs> defeated the he defeated the hunger all on his own. That everyone else was stupid cowards, and they fled or were crushed beneath it. And only he had the bravery and strength to rise up. That's some bullshit. Yeah, sounds sounds legit. <laughs> so, is there uh, of the other names? I guess um, I could either list down what they are, or is there any particular one that jumps out to Elias as he sort of reads over these other entities? The used carining. <laughs> uh, you look at the incomplete list because there's a bunch of pages missing, but mm -hmm. the entities that are uh, listed and explained in here that he discovered during his lifetime are the hunger, the stillness, the convergence, the kingship, the uniformity, and the sacrifice. Hmm. There's the after the convergence. What was that? The king, the kinship, or kingship? kingship as in something of authority or something right. that uh yeah something inherent about authority the, the hunger the stillness the convergence the kingship the uniformity mm -hmm. and the sacrifice okay yeah drop looks over elias's shoulder mm -hmm. and kind of like points at the sacrifice one mm -hmm. and goes that looks relevant <laughs> mm. Yeah, and you, you guys read about the sacrifice, what Jack Robertson was able to glean during his lifetime, was that sometime during history, a bunch of people suddenly came into great and inexplicable powers and wealth, and they couldn't tell anyone where they came from, but they all had marks, like parts of their body would be different or missing, and people you know, got it in their heads that they were sacrificing parts of themselves to some new god, but eventually it whatever was doing it disappeared and so people said you know that wasn't a god gods wouldn't just disappear for no reason they have to get worship to get power so it's not a god and so jack intuited that it was one of these outside wheel things that was doing it and that that's why he called it the sacrifice was because the relation to the from the powers to the body parts like elise just sort of looks at that falls over and then sort of his eyes get a little bit wide and he mutters if that's the case, 
well, we don't know how much time we have, but we, we have a finite amount of time to deal with this thing. So s something that we don't know is doing something that we don't know. <laughs> and we have an undefinable amount of some amount of time that we don't know to deal with it. <laughs> Professor Chance says, if it makes you feel any better, I think we're all going to drown and die before it leaves. So <laughs> he's like listening to your conversation. He goes, does that help? <sighs> Do you feel better about that now? No, I th I think this is this is the situation that I'm well equipped to deal with. Actually, Elias just sort of like spins in his chair, um, and then uses Mage's hand to sort of hold the book aloft and open on the page regarding the sacrifice, floating it over to Professor Chance. And so you guys share information and read and stuff, and he explains to you that um, if this is what it is, and Welch the Blue can get him the power he needs, maybe you guys can punch it yeah maybe you guys can go to where it is and kick its ass possibly that's his plan so we specifically go to this this entity's plane while we still have an entrance into it and fight it or do something to stop it at least he says that's that's the best i got otherwise i there's a there's going to be a portal to the feywild that's going to open up uh, pretty soon i think in like a couple days maybe a week the calculations aren't final yet, but if uh, we haven't figured something out, I was just honestly just gonna, I was just gonna hoof it. Like I'm, <laughs> I don't think that plane's leaking. So no, but given what is said here, it seems that none of the inner planes are really safe, to say the least. At least from these sort of uh, intersections. It's possible. Look, uh, I don't, I don't have all the answers. I've, I've been kind of focused on my thing, but I don't know what you guys want to do. Drop kind of blurts out. Just haphazardly. Do you know what the thing in the ocean is? <laughs> <laughs> he, he says, thing? You mean all the monsters? All of them? Oh, shit. Uh, I mean, you guys recall at the beginning, uh, literally episode one, everyone was under the impression that there were multiple monsters in the ocean. Right, right, right. It corrects Professor Chance. Um, I think by all of them, I think you mean the one monster. I'm not a marine biologist, so... Well, let's pretend I am. All right, I'm pretending. I'm in that headspace. So, are you gonna pull? Are you gonna pull a golf ball that is clogged in the monster to save its life? <laughs> oh wait, no. It's nothing but references tonight. Yep, nothing but references. <laughs> it's 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 one. It's just one. Okay. Well, I don't know what you're asking. Do you want me to do some research? There's other books here. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That thing's not of. That thing's not from the material plane, is it? I was thinking not. So where did it come from? Where could it have come from? Is there maybe another plane opening in the ocean itself? Well, the water's got to come from somewhere. <laughs> have you been able to find out anything about if there's any other planes? Do you know any planes that have a lot of water in them? Other than the <laughs> elemental plane of water? I mean, there's the elemental plane of water. That's definitely one with a lot of water in it. There's the astral sea. Uh, the abyss has 666 layers, and a number of them are full of water. That's a lot of water. It's a lot of water. Yes. The, I guess the answer to your question is yes. It's, it's feasible that all the flooding could be because of an opening from one of those planes just leaking water into this one. I mean, I reckon so. Yeah, it's possible. But maybe it's also the same plane that the creature came from. We need a cork. <laughs> Solve this whole fucking thing. Maybe, is, do you think there would be more research to do around here? Because if it's abyssal, well, I mean, we know it's evil, right? 
Mm-hmm. You are aware that the creature in the ocean is evil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it's evil, and it's probably not lawful. And it's big. Probably also, I don't know, lives in water. So, mm-hmm. Austin, I would like to check out the um, the books on non-lawful abyssal bad guys. See if there are any that are like you know water dwelling. Yep, anything in the abyss will be chaotic. So you'll want the the fiendish codex on demons. That's mm-hmm. that's right. That's exactly what I want. I guess I'll help by looking at the the neutral evil entities. Yep. Uh, so sketch, you don't find much. Because mm-hmm. we also we also know how it like preys on things. We get like there's vicious spooges that just kind of like. <laughs> sure. Okay. Long story short, Elias does not find anything. Yugoloths are super boring, and Austin would never use them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Some I bet someone out there really loves Yugoloths. Drop finds, I think, three entries in the the chaotic evil reading that uh, strike him as possibly relevant. The first one is an unpronounceable Kuatoa deity, uh, also known as the Sea Mother. Well, goddamn. Uh, it's it's like a giant woman with lobster claw hands and a shrimp's head. This is the deity that people say the Kuatoa created from their kind of gestalt madness. They're not quite a hive mind, but if that helps you to, to think of it. I seem to recall some of them in the city being like, save us, mother. That's one of the deities you find. It's a, it's water. It's a water deity and an evil one created by insane evil fish. Awesome. You also find uh, an entry on Dagon, who is a demon lord. Uh, some say the most powerful, but also the least ambitious. He's basically a giant eel with tentacles. You might re- recognize the name Dagon from H.P. Lovecraft. They they just took it. Because why not? Yep, public domain. Dagon just chills in his lair of the abyss, the Shadow Sea, and does basically nothing. People come to him sometimes, and sometimes people find themselves there to their misfortune. But he doesn't scheme like Loth or anything. He's just, just this giant evil sea creature in this giant evil sea. He's the possibly the most evil and the most powerful of anything in this entire book. But he really likes to sit down. Yeah. He likes a good chair. He's not ambitious, is the thing. Uh, but he is also, as you read, worshipped by the Kuatoa. And the last one you find that strikes you as perhaps relevant is Umberly. U-M-B-E-R-L-E-E. Also known as, I think her actual name, and this is going to sound like I made it up, but it's from D&D. I think it's the Sea Bitch. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> Same, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the bitch queen of the evil mm-hmm. sea. Uh, and her, she is literally, like, the evil god of the sea. Like, sailors pray to the good ones for, like, a strong wind and a, a good fishing trip. And a not-too-salty pork slab. <laughs> and they pray to Umber Lee, which is, please don't drown us. <laughs> please don't have our ship smashed apart by a storm. Like, Umber Lee is basically the, the evil god of drowning at sea. Them, which makes that like if in episode one when i said the, the seas are rising and it's very bad if one of you would have said can i roll religion to see what might be drowning everyone and then you crit i would have been like well there's a god of evil drowning <laughs> <laughs> uh so that one definitely jumps out to you oh you don't see any reference that the kuatoa worship her specifically but it definitely seems in their wheelhouse and i only bring that up because the other two were explicitly worshiped 
by the Kuatoa, the the sea mother of because they created her and Dagon, who does not care about them at all. God, he does not care about them, mm. but they love him. He's very powerful. And that's an and that's an astral plane, astral sea entity, correct? Yeah, Umberly is the astral plane. Dagon is the abyss. Mm-hmm. Um, Umberly is from the deep wilds, I believe, which is within the astral sea, I believe. Mm-hmm. It's been changed a lot because of D and D being what it is. <laughs> right. Uh, Elias is sort of like he glances back and then like sees the stuff, and when uh, a drop lands on Umberly, sort of like Elias sort of drops the book he has in his hand and sort of like moves over to sort of like peer over drop's shoulder with keen interest. And just sort of says, oh my, that, <laughs> that seems pertinent. That's not good news, is it? No, no, it's not. Especially that part there. He sort of points out how, among other things, uh, Umberly is worshipped by Krakens. Just to give an <laughs> indication of how powerful Umberly is. Yeah, uh, to answer Skitch's question, Umberly is from the Astral Sea. Mm-hmm. Dagon is from the Abyss. And... The sea mother is from that plane of water. So they're all different water planes and they're all different evil water gods. Right. And there's no, there's nothing in the reading about like the, the noxious spouts. There's no like, uh, the preferred way of this god to <laughs> eat its sacrifice is to spit a bunch of acid on them. There's nothing specifically, but if you had to guess between them, it seems like the Sea Mother isn't very powerful and doesn't really do uh, anything offensive. Fucking lobster shrimp. <laughs> yeah, she, she ain't shit. Umberly would just drown a bitch. Dagon, though, is like, if you look upon him, you are struck with madness and his people are like an insane cult. Once again, just literally from HP Lovecraft. So if any of them would kill their, either personally or through minions, would kill things with uh, acid or poison or whatever that stuff is. It, Dagon seems the closest. Right, right. There are a lot of things in this universe that just want to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I believe this is in the category of wants to kill everyone drop, to be fair. But I'm part of everyone. <laughs> I, I'm just saying it's not an exclusive you. I'm at least one of them. Uh, it's an inclusive you, not an exclusive you is all I'm saying. So you guys have done a lot of plot work today, Mm -hmm. but before we close out, I wanted to see what your next move is. Uh, Ziggy asks, uh, are we still going to try to get this ship airborne? Because the best chance we have here of accomplishing anything on that front, seeing if the drow have any captured gnomes from from any of their airships. Well, getting airborne would allow us to more easily intercept the Blackhearts and uh, deal with them. And as far as I can be able to infer, there would be some things we can close by confronting them. Professor? What's up? You see, he, like, you guys are having this long plot conversation, and he was just straight macking on your mom. <laughs> <laughs> There's at least two things I want to <laughs> deal with before you try your own methods to save your hide, as it were. You know, I gotta look out for the hide. That's all I got. Firstly, I would like my book back. Yeah, I mean, it's it's up there somewhere. He, he says, I don't speak celestial. I comprehend language, the literal translation, which turns out not to be super helpful. Angels, mm-hmm. they're not the clearest bunch. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. knock yourself out if you can find it. <laughs> I should not have much trouble with that. Um, the other thing is, if you would be interested in 
closing some of these portals as a way to, well, stop everyone from dying here, that would be very appreciated. Drop, drop raises his hand and says, I'm, uh, I'm one of everyone. <laughs> Fresher Chan says, I mean, if, you, if your theory is correct and the flooding is caused because of something leaking through a portal, I'd be into closing that, but I don't think that solves the Zavala problem. I feel like there's actually two problems that uh, we all are facing. I, I, I agree with that, but I think the solution of both of them converges on a single point, much like how you think that the portals, all, all their energies converge on a single point. I think we might be able to find a way to get to that point if we work together. He's so smart. Does he get that from you? <laughs> I, I, at least he's just sort of like clearly flustered at... You're, you're 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 aware that I I have a mother and a father, right, Professor Chance? <laughs> I didn't think you guys were like sponge stuff. I didn't, I didn't think you were like budding, like a sponge. <laughs> yes, yes, that is the case. I just want to make it clear that we're doing fun frog activities back on the boat. Yeah, mm-hmm. Vi- Violet's like trying to um like figure out her stuff and like tell stories that are not gross. You guys are having fish, I think. <laughs> I think you guys fished for okay. some dinner. Tell me what you're doing. Vi- Violet looks over at Vinny and says, Vinny, a lot of weird stuff happened, like, between the point that Swift Justice chopped off my horn and I turned into a human. I went into, like, a bullet time world where everything <laughs> was slow and didn't move, and there was a voice. What are bullets? <laughs> Someone yells from behind you. Shut up. Shut up. This is my story. And, <laughs> and Violet says, um, there was a voice. It was like old and young and man and woman. It was everything. And it talked the way baby boomers think millennials talk. It was really, <laughs> it was really weird. And then it tried to put me into the Gesh. But then I was like, Gesh again. Boom. <laughs> I was stronger than the voice, but then everything went dark. And now I'm like this. Weird, right? Yeah, that's an interesting story. Mm-hmm. I may have mind wiggled into Joan's mind, mm-hmm. and I think that's the thing that is doing the thing. Oh, yeah. Pretty sure its name is Billy. We'll figure that out, though. <laughs> so you guys are having fish and telling jokes, and everyone's like chilling and getting used to Violet. I think you're going to take the time off screen to learn how to use your arms and legs. Um, But we'll have to, we'll have to roll some stuff in future episodes to see if you get good at it. (laughs) It's fine. But let's say you'd use this night to, so that you're not just like a drooling idiot baby next time. That sounds like a good plan. Uh, We haven't rolled much this episode. Can I get a perception check from the player characters on the violet one? Okay. Uh, My perception. I rolled an 11, which is not great. (laughs) Oh my God. It is bad. Never mind. But wait, what about Welch? I bet she's real perceptive. <laughs> I'm not going to roll for all eight NPCs on this ship. <laughs> I'm just saying, there's some pretty perceptive people on the boat. <laughs> Do you want to play D&D? Or... <laughs> <laughs> That's oh fair. So you guys are all carousing uh, as the sun goes down, and it's a pretty cool little... Everyone's, like, jubilant. Violet's back. And not ever... like, not everyone loved Violet, but none of them wanted her dead. And it's pretty cool. Violet, what do you... Is there anything you want to, like, do? Dance. 
All right, Violet, you're dancing up a storm, and it's really weird because you don't know how to use legs. <laughs> it's the Elaine dance, pretty much. So she's just kind of wiggling around. I feel like I would like to make a, pers- a uh, performance check to see if I'm, I'm actually, like, inherently good at this. Sure. Thank you. Jeez. <laughs> Telling me I can't dance. We'll let, we'll let fate decide whether or not Violet is good at dancing as a human. Uh-huh. And she's just okay. <laughs> she got the 10. Uh, so the thing is, you're a big spectacle. That's the important thing here. It's not the worst anyone's ever seen. It's average for a horse who's become a human. <laughs> yeah. But the significance of that perception role I had you guys make before, and which neither of you did well on, is that while everyone is looking at Violet, uh, because she is such a spectacle, such a novelty, uh, nobody sees the figure climbing up the side of the ship which reaches over, claps a hand across Vinny's mouth so she cannot scream, and drags her over the side of the ship <gasps> and into the sea. Can't I, like, strum my lute? Uh, it all happens pretty fast, so you can try stuff, but I'm saying you're going over because that happens and takes you by surprise because no one was perceptive. Can't she do, like, a strength check to uh, like against whatever it is that grabbed her? Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm going to... Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and roll strength, which is not good. But there's always an outside chance of a 20, Lauren. You never know. A 5% chance of I it. rolled a 7. Nope. I rolled a 7. Yeah, it's not a 20. <laughs> Oops, overboard. There's always a chance of a 20, and there's also always a chance of making it worse. Damn it. You try to struggle, and uh, the thing pulling you over the side does not like that, and you feel a sharp pain as you are stabbed. Damn. Take six damage oh. as you were stabbed. That could be worse. You feel a shooting pain in your back. Uh, one hand is over your mouth, and one is apparently has a weapon. Cool. And you were dragged into the sea, and then down. Cool. As what has you start swimming. Did I get fish kidnapped? <laughs> fish napped? I think you're getting fish napped. I set my sail. Fly the wind, it will take me. Back to my home, sweet home. Lie on my back. Clouds are making way for me. I'm coming home, sweet home. I see your for our theme music, which includes Tears in Rain, an arrangement of Seattle from Deus Ex Invisible War, Dream Eater Mix, an arrangement of the Lavender Town theme from Pokemon, and Ah Kid Pella, an arrangement of Setting Sail Coming Home from Bastion. Executive producers for the month of December 2016 are Extellaris, Kirsten Haslinger, Joseph Timbrello, Andrew Grothen, Jade, The Cult of Gorfanax, Allison Ansel, Tarka, Luke Powers, Michael Goodell, Brent, Irving Royale, Brady Warner, Kitty Foe, James Neely, Eugene, Marissa Donaldson, David Page, Melanie Joe, Lana Seawolf, Toby Gleason Stack, Ruby Offer, Matthew Weber, Sarah Hanley, Zenith Will Rule, Melissa Booker, 
Cameron Abbas, Dylan, Anna Stulfar, Dash on the Rage Monster, Giorgio Renna, Harrison Andrew, Christopher Charlo, Jorit, Viger Arnston, Cody Jackson, King Waza, August Rue, Ingmar Gremmen, and Paul Mullen. If you want to support the show directly, you can join in on this list of names at patreon.com slash austinyorski, or you can find Leon at patreon.com slash renegadecut. You can also help us out by rating, commenting, liking, or subscribing to us on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever else you found the show. But as the Christmas season approaches, consider that the greatest gift you can give us is telling your friends, family, and loved ones to listen to our dang show.